Support for Defiance comes from Kraken, consistently rated the best and most secure Bitcoin exchange. Kraken puts the power in your hands to buy and sell Bitcoin. With 24-7, 365, world-class customer service, you can trust Kraken to support you, whoever you are, wherever you are. Available at kraken.com or via the mobile app, which is available on the Apple and Android app stores. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. Hello there and welcome to Defiance. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. Now, following the completion of my four-part series looking at the story of the rock band, The Ghost Inside, I got together with Vigil, Zach, Andrew, Chris and Jim to talk about the making of the podcast, some of the bits of the story which was left out and what's coming up next. I wanted to talk to the band and see how they felt about sharing their stories and hearing the perspectives of the other band members. Now, if you haven't already checked out this four-part series, please make sure you do. It is called 1,333 Days and it is available on all major podcasting platforms. If you have any questions about this and you want to reach out to me, my email address is peter at defiance.news. And now over to the interview. Right, Ghost Inside, got you all together following up from doing this podcast series I've done with you. So firstly, look, massive thanks to all of you for allowing me to do this and give me so much of your time. Um, a bit surreal for me as a fan of the band to go and do this, but I've, I've really enjoyed making it and it's been a real eye-opener for me. But I did do want, to, want to do a follow-up just because there were a few things that didn't get to make it into the final edits and uh, I've got just so many other questions for you anyway and some stuff other people want to hear. So uh, a good starting point for me is just like to find out from you, what, what was it like to revisit in that way Probably start with you, Vigil. What was it like for you to revisit this whole thing? Um, I mean, to be honest, so much of this whole thing was was just putting it behind me. So I did my best to not dwell on things and not think about things. And uh, a lot of this podcast was hard to listen to in the same way that people who were hearing the story for the first time were listening to it. There were definitely some things I didn't, you know, from the other guys that I didn't know about. Um, given my state of 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 the accident, it was uh, it was an emotional roller coaster uh, to be be hearing it back and uh, hearing myself talk about it because because like I said, I was doing my best to kind of just not think about it. But I mean, it's good. It's been it's it's been long enough that we should be able to talk about it and 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 revisit those things. But it was uh, I, I was the same week by week, just just getting ready to to um, listen in and. It was, uh, you did a great job, man. You did a really, really good job putting this all together. So thank you for that. Um, well, no, thank you for letting me do it, man. Yeah, of course, man. I, I, I think that when this first started, you know, I, I just assumed that it was going to be just an, you know, an interview kind of thing uh, about everything. And then uh, once that all came together, I was like, wow, this is so much bigger and so much better than I uh, thought it was going to be. So yeah, it just, it was, uh, it was really, it, it was really cool. Uh, and really surreal and really uh, a hard at times to listen to it, but it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's what I needed to hear. So it was, it was, it was awesome. I think it was hard for a lot of people. And I think it was Jim, when we caught up, you said to me, you said, it's not like we ever did group counseling and sat down and talked about this all together. And, and I was kind of wondering, you said it there vigil. I was kind of wondering whether any of you learned new things through this. My assumption is you all knew every part of the story, but I guess that's that's a bit of a naive view. I don't know that necessarily we learned new things. I think there's there's definitely details in there that I went, oh wow, I I hadn't really thought of that. But the I think the part that hit me the most is that each of us 
have like a really intimate, like one-on-one friendship. Um, and we all talk to each other one-on-one all the time. And I think in those one-on-one friendships, each of us have talked about things that we've gone through or different parts of the story, but the five of us have never sat in a circle and pieced the story together uh, in anything that even comes close to the way that the story is presented here. So particularly episode two, to kind of like hear that in a, in a linear fashion of like what each of us was going through in the moment on that day, it was overwhelming. I don't know. There's just not another word for it. You know, like I, I paused the episode that day and, and took a walk um, when we were talking about that, because it's one thing for me to talk about my experience that day and, and to talk to Chris about his experience. But then like you, you get a snippet from me, a snippet from Chris, you go right to Zach and what Zach was going through. You think about Andrew, you think about vigil and like all of those things were happening simultaneously. And there, it just, it's so much to take in in a single dose um, when it's all put there side by side by side, as opposed to like, if I tell you my story that it has this arc of like, I was hurt. I got better, blah, blah, blah. Like even with Andrew and like the really dramatic injuries, like he's hurt hospital recovery better. And you don't get that sense of like how messed up all of us were all at the same time. Yeah. It was really unusual to put it together as well, because it wasn't like I planned it in a way that that would happen. It was after all the interviews were done, we transcribed them and then just kind of took sections and tried to put them in order, trying to piece it together. And somehow, especially in that second episode, somehow you all had said all the individual bits, but had seen what each other were going through. And it just came together in a way that I think I was quite lucky in how you all told the story that it came out that way, rather than I did any great planning. I was just very lucky. What about yourself, Andrew? Because obviously you've been through a hell of a lot with this. What was it like for you to come back and listen to this? I think Vigil and Jim summed it up exactly how i would put it is just like there's there's so many little like we all know the bulk of the story but there's like these little comments that each of us had made individually that like like jim said like i didn't really think of it that way or like i've never really heard that point of view on it like <clears throat> like one thing like with jim and jim and chris like i didn't realize i knew it affected them but i didn't realize how badly the sort of like survivor's guilt affected them mentally I, I i knew to an extent but hearing like especially like chris talk about it because i love chris but he he can be quiet sometimes about stuff which is fine but hearing him talk about it like really hit me hard and yeah just like vigil was saying and it, it was it was hard at times to listen to there were there were multiple times where i had to like pause and i was just like sobbing and like yeah it was it was rough to get through but I think you did an incredible job um, with this and the, and the format of it being just audio only, how it, how it made me feel and how the, seeing the responses, how it's made other people feel just by listening to it is, is crazy powerful. So, And somehow your dad ended up stealing the show quite a bit. Larry always steals the show with us lately. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's a, he's a humble and uh honest upfront guy you're gonna get you're gonna get concise few words out of him and 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 he he makes his point and yeah a lot of people i saw a lot of comments saying like oh man your dad is incredible he's my new favorite dad all these like funny comments and stuff and 
it's cool to see that and cool to that uh you know my dad is not cool that he's a part of the story but a cool that he's like a part of the the ending of our story and and how things you know turned out with us with like building the hammer and all this stuff so yeah that was that was definitely interesting to see i think there was more of him in the whole podcast than i thought there was going to be cuz i knew um you had approached me about wanting to talk to him. I was like, sure. So I figured you were going to talk to him for like 15 minutes and that was it. And then there's three episodes in there's it's all Larry, which is, which is cool. So. Yeah. Well, we're, we're making a part five actually secretly with your dad and right. the entire bit's going to be with him. <laughs> i tell you a funny anecdote from my side is, is in doing it. It's that I did the interview with your dad and just did it. Didn't think too much about it. You know, he got emotional. It didn't cross my mind at the time because I was just, focus on my questions but when i went back to make that episode and to put that back in and the first time my engineer sent it back with the music as well because with the music you get the emotion it actually that actually made me cry that time when i hadn't uh, previously in listening to um because i just kind of taken a step back but i think he I think he made a few thousand people cry with, with that one he has that effect on people yeah especially yeah. uh especially post you know our accident and all this stuff um I think Jim can comment on being there in the hospital in those first few days of how they were making each other cry back and forth, I'm sure. But yeah, I'm, uh, it's cool he got to tell his side of it. That's a, that's a side that's super intimate that not a lot of people would know, you know, if you didn't talk to our, our families and just gave such a crazy amount of insight about the deeper parts of, of our recovery and everything. Um, very cool how you did it. Yeah. Yeah. As an, as an outsider, I, my perspective of it was that, and I think I said this, I heard about the crash. I thought, wow, this sounds awful. And, and then I didn't really hear much for a while. And then I, you know, I think the next thing that I was conscious of was a video of you playing drums. And then again, I wasn't too conscious about it all. And then, and then you announced the concert. I was like very distant from it, but me and Jim talked a lot, and, and I got very, very close to the story, probably as, as close as anyone, and that had a real impact on kind of learning everything that all of you had been through, you and your family, physically and mentally. And Chris, specifically with you, we you know we covered quite a bit on the mental side, which you were very open about, which I, I really appreciate. But how was it for you to go back through it? Uh, I mean, like the other guys said, um, you know, everybody that, you know, I'd interact with, post-accident everybody obviously always wanted to ask how you were doing how everybody else is doing so i spent a lot of time talking about it from the accident on uh to the point of recording the podcast and you almost get to i don't know if like numbs the right word but you definitely come to terms with it at least your side of the story and then hearing it back from like everybody else's perspective was so overwhelming uh Tons of, I mean, I, I literally told my wife the second episode, do not, do not listen to the episode. Uh, I can barely make it through. I don't know how you're going to do. Um, but it was also like, it was therapeutic in a way. Um, you know, I, I try to be, uh, really open with like the mental battle of the whole thing. Uh, I was raised by a mom who like never made me feel like I needed to not voice my emotions like i'm a pretty emotional guy and i'm very open about it <laughs> um some of this stuff i like like my wife said in the podcast though like i definitely internalized it i didn't uh 
I didn't want to be a burden on anybody else. I specifically didn't want to be a burden on the other guys who were, you know, for sure physically uh, more affected by the accident than me. Um, so the podcast, like getting it out and putting it out there in the world, like was honestly kind of therapeutic for me. Tough to listen back to and hear myself talk about it. But but afterwards, like I, I feel almost like a, a little bit of weight lifted off my shoulders. It's kind of nice. Yeah, it's um, it's funny also when editing, you're trying to get a certain emotion across and some of the things you talked about are, are serious and graphic. And when I would go through it with Zach, he would explain something but be laughing at the end of it, which would mean it would be very difficult to get the emotion. So oftentimes with Zach's, we were having to like edit out his laughing <laughs> when he explained like, oh, I had 15 operations on my smashed pelvis and then started laughing. We, I don't know if you did that. You knew you did that, Zach. <laughs> No, no, I think, uh, I don't know. Maybe that was just me trying to make light of the situation. Like I always do, but, uh, yeah, it took me a while to even listen to episode two because I think Chris texted our group chat and was like, this one is, is tough boys. So I got through it in, in a, a few spurts. So I listened to a bit, had to stop, went for a walk, finished the last bit of it. It was heavy, but it was done really well. I think episode two was the only one I, when I listened to, I actually listened to it and then got lost in it without realizing it was something I was listening for edits. All the others, I just listened to it as a piece of work that we were creating. You know, what do we need to move? What do we need to cut out? But that one, the first lesson, I got fully engrossed in it as a listener. And some really tough stuff to go through there. And I, you know, I, I did have part of me worry that was I forcing you to dig up things that you didn't want to dig up? Would I upset some of you? I, I don't know if that's true. I mean, you and I, Jim, talked about a lot of this stuff and we listened to them together, but that was a worry from my side. Well, I, I think for, for Chris and I, especially like we, we were never really unconscious and we became this point of contact for all of our friends in other bands, uh, for, our friends everywhere like kind of came to the two of us to to find out what was going on with the other guys. Well, they were in the hospital and incapacitated, you know, like Vigil and I have known each other since like 2005 or something. And we have tons and tons of mutual friends. So I was just getting this like outpouring of messages, particularly because he was totally out of communication, like just people being like, hey, is Vigil okay? So I had to become comfortable, like right off the bat with finding that balance of telling people what was going on, but also like re respecting everybody's privacy, you know, like a Andrew lost his leg, I think a, a week or so after the accident, but it wasn't until months later that he chose to tell, like tell that story publicly. And we didn't tell anyone. I don't think anyone outside the hospital and the architects knew that Andrew um, had lost his leg. And we share a really special bond with those guys because of what, Tom had gone through with cancer and they had always confided in us um, things that they might not have told everyone else. So I felt comfortable telling Tom and Sam, you know, that like, this is what's happened with Andrew and he's going to need your support on the other side of this um, because I know how close they are. Um, but it was always this balance of like, you know, like I couldn't tell people how bad things were for Vigil because I didn't really know. And it wasn't really my business to share his story until he was ready either. But we did have to get really good at talking about like really hard stuff right off the bat. We like got thrown into it and didn't have much choice on that side of it. And then like the, 
I think Vigil can speak to this, like the converse side of it. Like he never had to speak about it until he was ready. And like, I would think for him, this is probably one of the first times that he's like really publicly communicated a lot of the stuff that happened. Oh, interesting. One of the other things that, that really stood out for me during the whole through the whole of it, and I don't know who wants to jump in first and respond to this, but I, tell me if it's fair to say that Andrew's reaction, Andrew's drive to get back drumming became a real driving force for everyone else because like you all went through various really difficult things obviously vigil your head injury you know i didn't realize how serious your injuries were at the time zach but you know a drummer losing his leg and then coming back and playing double kick um and it kind of felt like well if andrew's doing i think it was you who said it to me chris but if andrew's going to do this we fucking have to like we if we cannot do this we cannot give this up if andrew's carrying on is that a fair reflection uh yeah, I mean, the obvious answer there is like, if he has the balls to fight through all the physical adversity to get back and play drums, like, what excuse do I have with a bum ankle and a bum foot? Um, it, 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 um, you know, it, it's not unlike Andrew's, Andrew's the goofball in the band. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the first time he texted our group chat with all 10 of us was, was I'm not gonna say what he said, but it, it was it was it was really lighthearted, um, you know, and and I think that all of us had known what was coming, but we didn't know how he was gonna react, so we weren't sure how to handle it with him. But to see him, uh, you know, kind of facing it head on and not letting it, you know, keep him down, and and let not letting it change who he was, was like, well, shit, what like what what is what's my excuse? You know, I definitely have moments where I wanted to let the little, you know, in the grand scheme of the injuries and the accident, my my little injuries, you know, I I wanted to let that stop me. I wanted that that to let it beat me. But I just kept being like, Andrew's going through something way worse than me, and he's not let it slow him down for a second. So who am I to 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 not push through as well? Yeah, to, to touch on that a little further, <clears throat> Chris earlier had said like. He made the point about how he didn't want to be a burden to the rest of the guys and stuff. And uh, that's something I didn't explain in either of the last episodes was that I think that that may have been my number one like source of motivation for myself was I didn't want to I didn't want to be the burden. I didn't want to be. I knew they never would, but I didn't want the guys to look at me as like, oh, well, this happened to Andrew like the band's done. I, I, and I'm sure thoughts like that happened. And I was like, I'm not going to be cool with that. So I think that that for me also was probably my main mode. One of my, at least one of my main motivations to like power through it and turn my mental state into like, you know, forward only and never look back was that I didn't want to, be be the main reason that everyone else wanted to give up i wanted to be the reason that everyone wanted to keep going basically mm. another standout moment for me in making it which was a bit of a, a surprise was obviously i went through what happened with aaron leaving with jim he talked about that and obviously that's a very difficult thing you all went through and you know and i can never understand fully because look i'm not in the band i don't really know you all beyond doing the interviews but I can imagine at the time it was very difficult, but when I spoke to him, the way he explained it, that the experience he got from seeing you at the Shire, and I actually thought was 
very cool. It was a very cool thing to hear. What was that like, you know, for the likes of you, especially say Vigil, Jim, you've been in the band a long time, especially you, Vigil, you know, from the very start. What was it like to hear back from Aaron? Um, <clears throat> well, I mean, like, like he said in his part, you know, we, we, the last little bit of time with the band, we, we were, we really had our heads in different places. You know, we, we wanted different things. And I think, you know, he, him taking a break from the, him stepping away from the band was kind of good for both of us. You know, he was able to, um, pursue, you know, a family and, and, and that kind of stuff. And we, I hadn't, I hadn't known what was happening at all for a long time with him, you know, like just, we had so much, you know, history in the band together. And it was just, it was kind of hard to, to just hit him up just to chat. You know, it took, it took a long time to just say, Hey, what's up, man? Like, how you doing? You know? Um, and so seeing him at the shrine, like I just, I, I could, I, I did a really good job of containing myself the entire night, like seeing people, um, you know, in my family and seeing friends and, you know, seeing, um, everyone else's extended, extended family. And then he seeing him and just, just talking with him backstage. Like I just, I just, I just broke down. It was just so, it was so comforting. It was so such a familiar feeling um, that it just, it just felt like having him there was so important and like integral to what we were doing. Like it, it just, it just, all the pieces fit together, if that makes sense. Like it, it just felt like it was like, mm. like there was so much in the air and just kind of going on and then just seeing him. And then I don't know, I just couldn't contain it. And it was just, it was just good to see him. And I'm, I'm, I'm so glad he was, he was, you know, there for it. Like uh, a lot of the uh, past members were there, you know, and uh, unfortunately I didn't get to spend time with, with everyone that I wanted to spend time with that day. Cause it was pretty hectic, but uh, I'm, I'm very, very glad I saw Aaron and, and got a chance to talk to him and, and, uh, you know, get emotional with him because, uh, it brought a lot, it brought a lot for me, you know, talking to him again and just, I don't know, just that, those feelings, you know, like that day was such an emotional day on, on top of everything and having that, uh, I don't know, it was just, it was just good for me. It was what he said though, that really stood out to me. He said, you, you came back a better band and some people might actually think that's some kind of like cliche to say, but but I actually fundamentally agree with him. The I don't think I don't think you put on that show without what happened. And obviously, if you could undo it, you would. It's not one of those scenarios where you wouldn't. But I don't think you play that show without the accident. That that was like he said, it was a concert. It wasn't it wasn't seeing you at the Astoria too, or you know, in a in a club jumping around. This, it was a full concert. Is the kind of thing I would expect from arena, but it was the first time you did it as well. And you, and you nailed it. What What's it like to exact? What is it like to reflect back on the shrine? Does it, is it a strong memory or is it like some surreal dream? Uh, I'm very happy. It was so well documented because it, it feels like it, like the whole day was 15 minutes and, uh, you know, I think it was Jim actually who, when after we had sound checked, was like, "Hey guys, just you know, keep in mind, 
when things get moving, it's going to really fly by. And once again, he was right. And uh, it, it certainly did. So, you know, and seeing, seeing Aaron there and Casey there and Garrett was there, seeing all those guys, you know, made it feel even more like a TGI show. It's a bit more than a TGI show. Because a TGI show, TGI concert, yeah, a TGI concert. Because the TGI show is in in a club, right? This is a, this is with fireworks and pyro, and, and you did a lot of the planning for that, right, Jim? Did it come out exactly as you expected? Yeah, uh, yes. Um, from the time that we started talking about like we're going to do one show, we we'd actually said like if we can't pick up our instruments and play, we'll just rent a couch and bring out an iPod and we'll do like a curated TGI playlist uh, in front of everyone we know. Uh, just so that our last show isn't, and again, we always say this, no offense to Lubbock, Texas. Like we had a great time there, but it's just, it's not the place where you like circle on the map of your life. Like I'm going to play my last show ever here at the back bar at Jake sports cafe. So we always wanted the band to, to play at least one more show on our own terms. And for me, like I, I went back to work um, like within a year of the accident, uh, working for other bands and other artists. So like I'd kind of gotten a dose of what shows of this size looked like and felt like and how they were organized and what you could achieve when you were, you know, working with a, a certain, you know, amount of leeway. And so in my mind, the show kind of always looked like this. And I said, if we're only going to play one more time, we're going to spend every dollar on fire and sparklers and just totally ridiculous over the top shit. Because, you know, like I felt like we deserved it. Like what we had been through, like we were just going to go all out and kind of like play the show of our dreams uh, in case it was the only one show that we got to do. And I think we're fortunate to, to have, you know, played another show in Australia and there will be other TGI shows down the line someday. Uh, but uh, if there was only going to be one show, I wanted it to be a concert experience on our end as well. Not just for the the people that were there, but I wanted us to get to that mountaintop that we had been growing towards for so many years that like, if you know, if you take the accident away, I think we would have achieved something, if not quite that big, something close uh, by t- 2019 so I wanted to get there, you know, <laughs> skipping all the steps in between. But yeah, the night, the whole night came together pretty much exactly as I envisioned it. Um, and a lot of that credit has to go to like our team that that helped build the show, the people at the shrine that accommodated all sorts of like, you know, kind of ridiculous and unique requests to, because of our situation, you know, like the, I think there were as many people backstage as there were in front of the stage at one point and the fire marshal came and was just like, you know, like we, this is out of control. You're scared of what you don't know. Any particular standout <laughs> moments for me? I mean, engine 45, the way engine 45 came together with the pyro, like the rain in pyro was, was like a very emotional moment. It, I don't know if you felt the same emotion on stage, but certainly in the crowd, the kind of, everyone kind of slowed down a bit for that, that moment as a real standout. Was there any like particular standout moments for any of you? <laughs> You're just gonna say the whole fucking thing, aren't you? Well, I'll I'll touch on something real quick too. Like, <clears throat> I know that some of the guys, like Zach just said, it felt like 15 minutes to him, and I think Vigil may have said that at one point too. That it's just like a blur or something. But going off what Jim was saying of like the going up there knowing that like this this could be the last one, 
we don't know how we're going to feel after this. Like if we're, if we're going to want to do it again, I kind of like, like really lived in that thought process. And I made sure to, I like live in the moment (laughs) and shit. So I like made sure to really actually live in the moment there. And it felt like an hour and 12 minutes or whatever for me. It, It was, it did not feel like a blur to me. I vividly remember every second, like, I, uh, yeah, I, I think for me, it was, it was the, it was just trying to make myself realize like play, like play tonight. Like it's your last for sure. And, and I, that's how I went into it. So. Yeah. I went into it thinking that and, and being like, okay, this could be it. So savor it. And as much as I tried to savor it, it did feel like just a blink of an eye. Like it was, it was we started playing avalanche and then it was the sparks for engine 45, like before I knew. And, uh, the only time that time slowed down for me was when we were on stage and I would look, I could look over to the right side. So, uh, yeah, the right side of the, of, of where we're playing from, from our view. And I would see our parents and, you know, I would see, uh, I would see everyone's moms and, and, and and brothers and sisters and, and just a family. And that was when I was like, Whoa, this is like, this is way, this is such an important moment in everyone's lives. Like not just the five of us, because this, this show meant everything to us, but it also meant everything to our family who have been supporting us from, from the jump, you know, from the start. And a lot of, a lot of the first time of, of our family's meeting were under terrible circumstances. You know, we always had a plan to be like, okay, let's do, let's do a hometown show and, 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 you know, bring our families out so that way they can meet each other and da 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 da. And we just, we never got a chance to do that. So the first time a lot of our families met were in the hospital wondering if their sons were going to be alive, you know, like that's a terrible experience. So, so for them meeting at rock bottom and then, being a part of something that's so important to all of us and just seeing the genuine enjoyment and genuine excitement on their faces. Like that was the only time that like time stood still. And like when, when, you know, there was a Larry chant from the crowd chanting about how, you know, I, I think I mentioned something on stage, like we, we, you know, we wouldn't been able to play if it wasn't for some ingenuity by our drummer's dad, Larry, da, da, da. And then, and then everyone like, all, all how I don't even know how many people were there, like eight thousand or whatever. But everyone there was just chanting Larry, and that was that. That was a moment I could never, ever, ever forget. And uh, yeah, just it, everything was just like a flash, other than than just seeing our our, our family. And that was uh, honestly that made it all worth it because we we've, we've been planning something like that for a very long time, and it, it finally worked out. And it's just it, it's it's a memory that I want them to have over them in the hospital seeing you know altogether sad if their sons are going to be alive or not you know there was a couple of standout things as uh, somebody in the audience watching it and i i'm not sure how many i told you during the interviews uh, firstly was the fact that like i didn't really know anyone there and it was the first time i've been to a concert like that where everyone was just talking to each other who didn't know each other and just having conversations like when did you first see tgi or what's your favorite song a lot of that was going on which was very unusual and also, I can't remember if that went into the edit, but John talked about it. Vigil, when you started talking, the whole crowd just shut the fuck up and just listened, 
which is very unusual. But the other thing that stood out to me at the time was with the support acts when they were coming on and doing these acoustic songs. And I was like, what's this bullshit? I'm like, I'm ready to fucking rock out. And it was only when you came on an avalanche hit, I was like, ah, uh, I get it. And then I talked to Jim about it and Jim explained, well, we didn't want anyone to smash their teeth in during like a support act to miss us. Um, so I understood the planning for that. But I do do have another couple of questions about the show. Um, one for you, Andrew. Obviously, this was like your first full show playing you know, with one, you know, essentially one leg. Did it get to a point where you just played naturally and you forgot all about it? Like, were you in that zone? Or do you have to play now? Is there something you consciously have to play differently because of the injury? Yeah, I think um, it actually, I mean, <laughs> it took me a while to, there, there's this like sort of latency uh, with my right side with with the device I use that I have to kind of make up for. I have to like almost strike the kick drum with my device like a split second early and it's not always the cleanest, but it took, it took almost up until the final practice before the show to like lock it in as well as I did. I didn't play 100% perfect that night, but yeah, I got to a point where like it's, I just ended up not thinking about it and just, rocking out you know and i i it, it that the thought of like playing good or tight just kind of was just like fuck it like just play and enjoy this Cause like again like this might be the last one so yeah to an ex to an extent it, it it got to that point for me but i mean I, I i listened back to some videos now and and even on parts where i was like oh i know i fucked that up bad like i'll listen i'll be like oh it's not it's not as bad as i thought like you know, there's there's some work to do and stuff, but uh, yeah, actually, the for me personally and performing that night, the the biggest challenge was um, I was using these triggers, and I, I talked about it the the laser triggers, and we didn't know this. We were actually told that that um, ambient light would could cancel out that laser and make it not trigger, but stage lighting wouldn't. So we're like, oh, sick, now. It turns out stage lighting very much canceled it. When there was, it was only when there was these bright white LEDs, which there was a wall of them behind me that would flash the brightest incandescent white you could ever think of. It would cancel out and you wouldn't hear my kick drum at all. And that got me a little stressed out to where my tech was running up to me and saying, What's going on? I was like, playing and like looking down going you gotta tell them to stop the white lights <laughs> tell them to turn the white <laughs> lights off and uh <laughs> it, he i think he calmed down on them but he can't just like turn them off all together because it's he has like a you know lighting guys have like their own set but you know equated to lights instead of performing music so he calmed down on it, but that was that was the roughest thing for me. Even more so than playing and trying to play tight was was the lights uh, doing that. But since you know we went and played Australia at the beginning of this year, yeah, and we knew that that was going to happen, and we made this like kind of cover just in case. Never had a single problem. Nice. So that was just a learning curve thing. And what about yourself, Zach? Like, I didn't realize at the time before we did this. I didn't realize that you'd had you know, a couple of toes removed and you had some difficulty during the time, just like standing for a while. You talked to me how you had to get used to that. What was it like just to go out there and play a whole set, stood up, <sighs> guitar, head banging away? Uh, before we went on stage, I think I asked, 
the other three guys who stand, I was like, are, 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 you, are we jumping? You know, <laughs> are, are you guys going to jump? And I, I told myself, I was like, all right, we're feet are staying on the ground, Zach. And uh, I, I got a little too excited. So I tried jumping in front of 8,000 people and it didn't go super well. So I had to, I, <laughs> I had to literally ground myself a little <laughs> bit after that. But uh, yeah, there was a, a, when we took our photo, the photo of all 10 of us, it was nice because we were able to sit down a little bit before it. But yeah, just being on my feet for that long without sitting down was tough in its own. I think we all felt it the next day. But that adrenaline rush and excitement for sure helped helped fuel standing up. Never thought I'd be in my 30s, <laughs> 30 saying that. <laughs> Well, look, it was a it was a very special show. I don't I don't have to tell you that. You all, you all know that. There were a couple of things that um, didn't make it into the podcast just because you're trying to create an atmosphere and a momentum, and I just couldn't make them work. But I think they're worth bringing up just just for people to know. There's a really really good bit, Andrew, where you talked about what Epitaph did for you, and I just couldn't make that into the edits. But I think people should know who don't know what they actually did for you. Yeah. So Epitaph and what they did. Oh man, um, I was laying in my hospital bed still in El Paso and I can't remember if it was my mom or dad or one of the other guys showed me a post that Epitaph made. They just kind of turned their phone around and showed me and it said that Epitaph was going to not be recouping any, any royalties from the ghost inside and that all of our sales and stuff would, would go directly to us. And I, that hit me so hard. I mean, that like instantly made me, just burst into tears. Like I couldn't believe the support. It was already crazy enough seeing the GoFundMe and how much it had raised by the time I woke up. It was, it was at like 160 some thousand dollars. And I I was that, that hit me really hard. And then seeing Epitaph, like it just was this feeling of like, look at all these people in your corner. Like everyone's rooting for you. Everyone's fighting. Like, another another thing that played into the motivation like look at all these people that have your back like you need to not let them down like you you gotta you gotta fight and get through it you know uh absolutely huge um what label does that you know i know epitaph is maybe considered an indie label but to us it's a major label we grew up loving epitaph compilations we all grew up liking skate punk and tony hawk's pro skater games is basically one big epitaph records playlist you know like we grew up on that and it's just to see our favorite label and know how good of people they are do something that big is just i mean i can't even really put it into words um made made me made a grown-ass man cry for sure that's all i know I think what's really like hard to put into context is the the size of what Epitaph really did. And basically what Brett Gerwitz, who uh, is the owner of Epitaph, did was every single dollar that came in for the Ghost Inside came to the band. Like the label didn't take a percentage of anything. Like so if you bought a CD for, you know, $14 or whatever through their web store, they took the cost of it, which is, you know, $4.71 or something off of it. And every dollar of, of I guess, profit came straight through to the band, which <clears throat> at that time, 
for us was a total game changer. You know, we had gone, we, we, none of us were making any money. None of us were working. None of us had any source of income at all, even for silly things like getting an Uber to the doctor for an appointment or, you know, getting Shake Shack delivered or something. Cause we couldn't leave the house and like all these little expenses that like really add up when you're incapacitated like that, that people don't always see that extra money that came in by people buying lots of extra merch, listening to extra songs, buying records and all that stuff. All that money did actually come straight to us um, and really like connected the dots for us until we were able to start working again. And and Epitaph did that for like a full four years uh, where they just didn't make a single dollar off of the ghost inside and sent all of the money straight through to us. And, you know, uh, (laughs) with the way the music economy is for a label to just voluntarily do that is, is just insane. Like we could never, you know, say thank you enough to Brett for, for that sacrifice and support. And it's not just Brett. It's like the, the whole team at Epitaph, you know, like I know that Felicia Rizzolo, who works there and has been a good friend of ours for a long time, organized this like pop-up shop at Chain Reaction. Um, all these people donated stuff. All the money got donated straight to the GoFundMe. And it was like thousands of dollars. And people just came and it was like, you know, a yard sale. And there was all sorts of like cool stuff that they found at the warehouse. And they, you know, they just went so far above and beyond in that sort of like connection to what is usually the, you know, the corporate suits like is just unheard of these days. And it makes you really proud to be associated with that little E that goes on all your records. Nice. So you get a concert done, you play Australia, and then we kind of realize we're living in the version of the multiverse, which really is going to fuck with you guys. Cause then we get coronavirus, <laughs> like of all the things to happen. We get a pandemic. Um, it must have hit you pretty hard, right, Chris? You're like, we've done all this. We're back. We're ready to go. And and I know everyone's going through it, and it's really sad because like a lot of people have died. But it also must be like, come on, for fuck's sake, give us a break. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely uh, pretty discouraging, you know, like you said, going through everything we did to get back to this point to like finally be able to put some more shows on the books and, uh, you know, get as back to as close of a normal band life as uh, as we'll ever get again but at the same time i feel like the accident kind of made us like we're kind of equipped for this like we're like in a weird situation where like we've had everything go on pause in the blink of an eye and like had to figure out uh what to do with all the extra spare time and, and how to get through like a long downtime like this you know like it kind of forced us to like figure out our like our identities outside of just being like we're the guys in the ghost inside it's like okay well what what else do i do with my time when i can't be chris from the ghost inside you know and so i like i started pouring into my studio work and stuff like that and andrew's like constantly writing music vigils like streaming video games and stuff like that's like we've all had to find like our passions outside of it and and this is just like a continuation for like i feel almost weirdly lucky in a way that we were like already kind of prepared for a situation like this we we had to you know go back to the to the things we did you know when we didn't have the band you know there was a long span where post-accident uh and and pre uh you know us being a band again like there was a lot of downtime where we had to figure out what to do who we were and all that kind of stuff so 
you know, we were like, like he was saying, we were, we're pretty fortunate in the fact that we kind of already had uh, a dry run of things. So when, when lo- the lockdown happened, we're like, okay, we've, we've been here before. We've been, we've been not able to leave our house before we've had to rely on other means to sort of uh, make money and figure out what to do. Like we've, we've been in this situation. So, so we know how to adapt, but um you know, the industry as a whole shutting down is a lot different than a band shutting down. You know what I mean? Like it, it was different. It was different in in our downtime when we were just watching, you know, everything kind of, you know, keep going and, and, and gain momentum. And we were like, okay, we're going to hopefully get back to this one day. Da, 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 da. And then now it's like, you know, who knows, like the, the pandemic, like it, it, it changed things forever. You know, I don't think shows will ever be the same ever again, you know, like whatever capacity, whatever capacity we get them back in, um, you know, we're going to be stoked to be able to do live events again. And, and, you know, not just us entertainment industry wide, you know, we're going to be stoked to be able to get back to it, but you know, I don't know, I don't know where we go from here. I don't know how things change. I don't know what happens. I know just like going out and, um, getting groceries or going out and, going to get food or, you know, going to get coffee, even like things are so different now. Um, and it's, it's, it's an adjustment for everybody. So like I was saying, we're, we're, we're fortunate enough to, 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 to prepare for this in a way, uh, prior. So we're, we're able to navigate this a little differently than, than, uh, everybody else who was trying to figure it out for the first time. Selfishly, I was just really pissed off because of Brixton Academy, because as somebody from the UK, there's there's two very special venues. One's not a concert venue anymore. There was one called the Marquee, which was just an unreal venue, tiny, small venue. But Bristol Academy is the one. Um, I've seen Slayer there, Sepultura, Biohazard, Beastie Boys. It's a very special venue. And when you announced it, I was like, holy shit. Um, have any of you actually been there? No, uh, but I can so tell you that just we heard were, the rumors. Yeah, we we were all very excited to play it too. We know how much of a legendary venue that is. And, uh, you know, obviously being back in the UK and, in London was, was huge for us. So just wanted, we wanted to do it and, you know, coronavirus had a different, uh, different plans for us, but, um, we know how, how legendary that place is. And, and we were so excited to, you know, to be in, in, in the, the name of, you know, bands, like you said, like Sepultura and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know, it's just, it's a bummer, but you know, hopefully everyone's, um, everyone, uh, taking the necessary precautions and we can open back up at, at some point and, and get back to it. Cause I know, uh, Brixton is a big, big check for all of us. I'll tell you something about the venue that you might not know, but, um, they might change it now, but it's, it's a, it's an amphitheater and it's the perfect size 5,000. When you go bigger, you feel too far away from the band. It's the biggest venue you'll, you'll get where you feel close to the band, but right in the middle, they've got these two big bars. They're kind of like, like small soccer goals, which are there to obviously stop people crushing each other. But whenever a band like yourself plays, it, obviously kids just climb on them and start diving on each other. So it's uh, it's always a, a really wild show there. So yeah, hopefully next summer they'll come back. Okay, I want to talk about the album. Let's talk about the album. I um I talked to Aaron about this. It didn't it didn't actually make the final cut, but uh, one of the things a comment I made to him, and again it'll be interesting to see your perspectives. Um, I'll put this to you first. Uh, Jim, it felt both. It felt to me when I first heard it, it felt like both your fifth album and your first album. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, yes, it, it's a really accurate description. Uh, I think we were going to 
be writing in a whole new way, regardless without Aaron, um, that, you know, Andrew had sort of taken over that role of being the composer, but we just made a deliberate effort because of the, what, how much we've been through together to collaborate more on this record, that it would be much less like one person bringing one song idea to the table and much more of the like, let's sit in a room, like two of us, three of us, all five of us, and and let's like bang out ideas and bounce this off each other and and get these songs to a place that all of us are proud of. Um, so the, the way we wrote the record is definitely the first Ghost Inside record that was written this way. Uh, and so I think that brings a freshness to it, as well as like the amount of time between the records. Like it was, if we recorded... <clears throat> Dear Youth in 2014, and we didn't record this till 2019. Like five years is such a huge gap. Like most bands would record two or three records in that amount of time. So I think we had grown so much in terms of like what we're interested in. You know, like Chris himself is a producer and engineer. Um, Andrew is a songwriter. Uh, the other three of us is guys who are in the band. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> We just brought, it, it was just a totally different thing to bring to the table, like these, this group of experiences. And then just like the, the very basic fact that the guitar started in Andrew's hands most of the time instead of in Aaron's hands. Um, so it did, it felt very fresh and new um, for, for both of those reasons. Yeah, I, I always, there was a certain sound that, that kind of came out in Returners, which I, I think I said, I can't remember who I said to, I think it was you, Vigil, perhaps I said it's like that felt like when you defined your sound and that sound carried on through Get What You're Given and Dear Youth. Um, and that sound, it's there on the new album, but it, it, there's also, it feels like just a slightly different band. I, I talked about a lot of bands tend to have this pr- progression where they become a, a bit more accessible from the next album to the next album. I don't know why it is. But with this album, it's kind of like you just went a little bit harder, but still retain that sound. Is that? Do you think that's a fair kind of observation? Um, yeah, I, I think I think it's definitely a Ghost Inside record, but I, I think it's it's um, developed in a way that is uh, you know trying some new stuff, and I think that's that's what all bands need to do when they do a new record. They have to push the boundaries a little bit and figure out you know, what areas they can grow in and what, you know, what they're capable of. And I think for us, it was a lot of exploring and, and, and seeing what works for us. And, um, you know, to touch back on this record sounding different or not sounding different, but feeling like the first Ghost Inside record. Um, I think a big part of that is how collaborative it was because not only musically was it collaborative, but lyrically it was the most collaborative record we've ever done. Whereas like in the past, like, you know, I did 100% of the lyrics and I and I did 100% of the topics and ideas and everything. And then as it kind of went on, you know, opened up a little more. But this record was like 100%. Everyone had full, full, you know, ability to say whatever they wanted to to write a line or to do this or to do that. And that that took a little bit of 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 kind of getting used to. And it. I don't know. It just turned out really well. And the fact that like I came to the table with, you know, a lot of backlog lyrics and song topics. And then we kind of sat in a room and we're like, all right, where do we go from here? And, you know, every single one of us came up with, with, with stuff, with lines, like every single one of us has stuff written on the record. And, you know, Will who uh, produced it, like, you know, wrote stuff too. And same with Jeremy, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it, uh, it, it is, it is the first, 
it is the most collaborative uh, our our band has ever been, and I think that was actually a, a, you know a beneficial thing. Whereas in the past, it was like like Jim said, you know, somebody brought a song to the table, you know, and I brought you know a a good chunk, if not all, of the lyrics to a song together, and it was like, okay, you did this, you did this, and that's it, you know, and like or this one is like this one's collaborative and it shows, and I think it shows for the for the better part because I genuinely believe this is our best record. Um, this is our most, uh, our most, uh, my most listened to record of anything we've done for sure. I've listened to this one more than I've listened to anything else because when you spend so much time writing, writing and recording, you know, by the time the song actually hits the ears of the public, you're like, yeah, I've heard this song 150,000 times. I'm not going to listen to it again. Like I heard it in its demo state and I know what it came it turned into. And, and so, uh, very few records I've gone back to to just listen to, just to listen. But this one I've gone back to a few times and been like, yeah, this record's good. Like I would listen to this if I was not in the band for sure. What was it like for you, Chris? Because when we spoke, you, you said to me, well, I was a Ghost Inside fan before I, before I joined the band. I loved them. And, and now you're in the band and you're writing you know, material for an album. What was that like for you? Uh, it's, it's pretty crazy. Um, and and I, think, I think what I said in the podcast is like, you know, I was a fan of the band, and so I can kind of step back and like look at the record as a whole and be like, "Yeah, if I wasn't involved in this in any way, like, and this came out, this would be a exactly what I was expecting, like with the progression of the band, but like, b for sure something I would listen to all the time." Um, but it's kind of surreal to like go back and remember like listening to like Returners for the first time, and then fast forwarding to now, and like there's a record out with these guys that like I was along for the process of making. Uh, pretty wild honestly and and i i mean hands down probably the most proud of like any record i've ever been involved with that's like out in the world you know because andrew for sure like you know on the music front is like you know contributed 99 percent of the record but just just to have that uh you know have everyone in the band have a say in what went out into the world is is pretty awesome because that doesn't always happen uh that doesn't it didn't happen with my previous bands from what i understand didn't happen with uh previous ghost inside records so i think that like having all five members give you that that like thumbs up and and final approval and everything going out is i mean i i think the record is a testament to that like that this is the ghost inside the record is the ghost inside i mean i i think it had to be that way with everything that we've been through you know like we couldn't we couldn't put out a an album after everything and 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 do it the same way we did it where you know, people were able to have input on the things that they did and they did alone. You know what I mean? Like, all right, Andrew has input on drums and that's it. And Chris has input on guitar and that's it. I have input on lyrics and vocals and that's it. Like it, it couldn't be that way with, with everything that happened between us. But Andrew, was that a lot of pressure? Did you feel the pressure taking the writing responsibilities? And, and I want to throw something else in there as well, because I heard, I heard this record that you made in between, but it's like an instrumental. There's, um, which, by the way, I, I, if this is really selfish, I really kind of want to hear a version of that with some singing on it as well. Sorry, it's really selfish. But um, ha, like, there's some really good stuff on there. Did you struggle to choose stuff between the two? Did, was there stuff you made on that that you wanted to bring to this? Like, there's a few questions in there for you. Um, no, I, I that project, it's, it's called One Decade. I, I wanted that to sort of just be its own thing. And there's there, there's probably a little bit a little bit of TGI flair 
flavor kind of throughout that, but it's it's a it's more of a different style of one of the million subgenres of metal that I just you know I didn't that's not TGI you know to me, but you know when it when it came to doing the the actual TGI record it, it's crazy because um, instrumentally it's like it's like an amalgamation of different parts of riffs and songs and demos from like seven years ago till now. So we, we had all this material that we could kind of go through and cherry pick like, Oh, that part sucks, but this one's sick. Like let's work around this. And then we did, we would do our thing. Like the guys came to my place in January. I think I talked about on the podcast and, uh, we did our thing together. And then we took that to our producer, Will and, the songs became what they did, but it's like, I, I, I didn't feel any pressure or anything. Cause like, <clears throat> I mean, I, I sit at home all day, every day and I'm, I'm writing music just for fun. Like that's what I do. So I was just already, I'm already doing what I already do, you know? And so it's, it, it just comes naturally and easy to me. And at the same time though, like I'm not one to be like, <laughs> you know, like this is my music and my band, like, my, never, never be like that. Like I always made sure to like share everything I ever did with the guys and get their input. Like, like there's a, there's a song on the record called Phoenix rise where in the original demo, I had the, this chord progression laid out a certain way and vigil was in my studio with me here in Michigan. He's like, why don't you just reverse the end of it? Just go, you go down the scale, go back up it. I was like, I don't know. And then I tried it and I was like, oh yeah, that's so much better. And I, and I wanted to make sure to do, get that with everyone, like everyone have their input, like just because just to reiterate that point of like, this is the, this, this is the most important record of, of any for us to all five be collaborative on and, and have our say. So. Uh, can I just take a second to say how fucking frustrating it is to have the best guitar player in the band be the drummer? (laughs) Fuck you, Andrew. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about the best. Do you need the rest of the band? Literally, I don't no. think so. <laughs> no, he, he does. He, yeah, he does. He does so many different voices too that he could absolutely sing and scream, no problem. I, I have full, fully have confidence in that. He could. He could do his own band for sure. One man band. You could be like one of those uh, jazz touring bands. It's Andrew with the ghost inside. Just have like a like a kick drum strapped to my chest while I'm like <laughs> harmonica mounted playing guitar. Maybe that's what I'll do after TGI. Be on the lookout. <laughs> well, listen, look, I, I love the record. Um, when Aftermath came out, and haven't heard the record, Aftermath was obviously the perfect song to to release first. Uh, but then when I first heard the album, Pressure Point really stood out, especially as a like a hardcore, you know, hardcore kid. I absolutely love Pressure Point, but Unseen is the track for me now. Unseen is the one I've listened to most. It's become my favorite Ghost Inside track. Period from any album. I I've probably listened to it over a hundred times but what about yourselves are like are there any kind of standout moments what about you zach I haven't asked you anything for a while uh i'm probably not gonna say anything that these guys haven't already but uh as far as like a favorite song or experience is that what you're asking yeah like standout moments from the album for you uh i mean just us all five of us being in a room together talking about you know how the last four years had affected us was was pretty cool in its own right there and 
yeah, just just being able to put all of that into something positive we've all been looking forward to for so long was pretty rad. Jim? Uh, so uh, one of the hardest parts about uh, the accident, I think, is that we went from spending all this time together all the time to being spread out, you know, across five different states. Um, and when you talk about like the 10 of us that survived this accident, you know, Danny, our merch guy has been with us for since 2011. Uh, our sound guy tissue has been with us since 2012 or 2013. Timmy has been with us. You know, he's been a friend of vigils since high school. Like these are, these are like part of our family and same with Armando and, and Tony as well. So to, all of us just be dispersed and then not see each other while sort of going through the same thing at the same time. Uh, about a year after the accident, we planned our first like get together sort of like reunion thing. We kind of Airbnb this big house near San Diego. And it was the first time the 10 of us had been together since the day of the accident. Um, and Chris brought his like mobile studio with us and we finished up a demo song there that we came very close to releasing. Um, but one of the coolest things we did on that demo was all 10 of us did the gang vocals together. And so when we got into doing the record, one of the most important things for me was that um, we replicated that in the song Still Alive. The gang vocals in that song are actually all 10 of us. And that is like a really powerful thing for me because that song is the one that sort of like most directly is about like, fuck you, we lived and, and we're here. Um, so to have the other guys who don't get to, you know, they don't, they're not the face on the magazine. They're not, you know, they're not, they're not in the band, but they're just as much a part of the last four years as we are. And to, to have them be a part of that and be immortalized on, on the record in that way was like a really like full circle moment in terms of like making the record. And, you know, like that's an emotional part of the record that I think means more to us than it, than it ever could to anyone else. What about you, Virgil? Were there, were there any parts or any songs that you're particularly thinking, I just cannot wait to get out and start playing that song, singing those lyrics? Well, I, I don't know if I could follow up anything that's as important as what Jim just said, because uh, honestly, like we did that demo song and a driving force behind wanting to release that song was it wasn't just the five of us. It was the 10 of us on that song. and so we had to, we had to, to make something like that happen again. And being able to have them all on so live was, was, was incredible. You know, like we had them send, send voice memos in their phone. We were like, we, we need, we need something to have on all 10 of us on this record, like da da da, da. And it worked out awesome. Um, so I don't know if there's a part that I can say that is going to mean more than that. But for me, for me personally, my, my favorite part of the record is the breakdown in the outcast because it's been something that I've been wanting to have for so long. And it's just, it just, it just never worked out with, with how, how, uh, I don't know how the music was going. Like it never, we never were able to have this like big open hi-hat breakdown and I've been wanting it for so long. And then it, and then, you know, we got in the song and then we're sitting around trying to figure out how to make it work. We're like, Oh man, we got to make this thing cool. And then, and then, and then I remember Will being like, well, just looking at him like, yo, I got, I got it. And he, he like mouthed out what the breakdown pattern should be. And I was like, oh my God. And I was like, I have, I, I can't move my right ankle 
at all. And I, I want to stand up and mosh right now. That's how excited I am, you know? And like, it, it was, it's really cool to have a part like that on the record where it's like, it gets me in the band so pumped that I want to go mosh that I'm like, you know what? <laughs> this is going to drive people. This is going to make people go crazy. Like I want that, that feeling. And so that means, means, well, that musically means a lot to me, but I think emotionally, I think you hit the nail on the head with, with Unseen because I think that song is so important um, as, as far as like a, a vibe and as far as like a meaning because it's, it's, it's not something that people think about a lot. Like I think, uh, I'm not sure if I had mentioned in the podcast, I don't remember, but like if you see, you know, Andrew and Jim walking down the street together, like you know, you see Andrew and you go, yeah, he's, you know, clearly been in some sort of accident. He's missing a leg, da, 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 da. but you would never think that Jim was in the same accident. And he carries this like unseen emotional trauma that, you know, I don't have because I was completely unconscious. I, I remember zero, you know, so it was important to drive a topic like that home because it's not something that people think about or talk about or really know about, you know, like, so it, it was such an important thing that we had to get on the record. And it's, it's a song that's very different than anything we've done in the past, which I think is cool too, um, to have a song st- stick out so much and have it have such an important meaning, you know? And, um, you know, there were a time, there's a time where there's, you know, there was a little break in the music for like a, a big one-liner. And, and I remember, you know, we came up with it and I was like, I was like, what if I just, talked it instead of like screamed it you know like like would this be cool and i remember like we were we were trying different kind of like ways to say it and like different like different you know inflections and stuff and then it was just like i was like just go hit record i, I was like I'll, I'll i'll do it and then i just just did it and, and as soon as as soon as we tracked it i was like holy crap this is a huge huge part dude like saying am i lucky to be alive like just talking it is 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 huge. for a band like us you know who screams majority and sings to have a part where that's literally stripped apart where there should be a big chanty screaming vocal part and it's just just talking is like drives the point home so hard you know and i think i think that's a, a an important part of the record as well so so music- let me add into that the, the guitar piece after that, where you say, am I lucky to be alive? The guitar piece after that is one of my favorite kind of Ghost Inside riffs ever. I don't know who wrote that, but that really kind of grabs you. And then I think you then scream, am I lucky to be alive? Yeah, it's like a creepy sounding guitar part, like a ding, ding, ding. No, it's the like the the full on riffs that come in when it all oh, comes back in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like, whoa, that yeah. really takes you back, man. Um, great record, guys. All right, so listen, there's another thing we need to talk about. I don't want to spend too long on this because um, generally speaking, like I just love the band and glad to see you all together in the same room and looking forward to seeing you on stage again. But we should talk about uh, what happened uh, during the kind of BLM protests. And it's obviously a tricky thing. Let let, let me talk about what happened my side. Um, So I'm there one day and I've got all these tabs open and I'm editing uh, episode one and I've got like a tab with discography because I'm trying to get make sure the record's in the right order. And then I've got like a another tab with all your songs on Spotify because I'm choosing where to put them. And I've got Wikipedia open. I come back one day and my Wikipedia is open and it says um, ex-members gym. I was like, what? Is this a mistake? So I Google it and 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 I saw what happened. I was like, ah, oh, shit. And I I was gutted. But like I kind of like felt like, 
because what what was happening at the time, all the crazy kind of riots and protests, I was like, okay, I I understand. You know, it's unfortunate, but I understand. I'm going to give Jim a call and have a chat with him anyway. But, like, I I was a bit disappointed. And then kind of, like, I read Jim's statement, and then 24 hours later, I was like, I kind of changed my opinion. I was like, oh, no, this isn't – I kind of hope this isn't, like, the end, whatever. But it'd be really interesting to hear what you went through because – I think people online are very quick to make judgments and you can't please everyone, but it'd be very interesting to hear kind of like the emotions you went through with that. I'm going to throw it up at you first, Andrew, and just talk about that whole period. Yeah. It, uh, I mean, I don't even know where to begin. It, it, we, we spent a couple days. We were, we were talking with each other, the five of us and, even even partially with you know our management and label and like how do we handle this what do we do and and we were like oh do we need to move on without jim like jim called me i was like i might have to step down and and we're like no or maybe no yes no we went back and forth and then we were just feeling the pressure man from from fans and people on social media and and even some peers and and we 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 felt the pressure and we made a decision against the wishes of our management and label and as soon as as soon as we made that initial post about Jim not being in the band anymore like it went live and I'm not trying to sound dramatic or feel bad for me or anything like that but it's the first time in my life I hadn't eaten for 2 days straight and I, that post went up and I vomited out of straight anxiety. I, I, I have never in my life, personally, even with the accident, felt or, or dealt with anxiety on, on a level like this where I didn't eat, I didn't sleep. I think we all just saw something going on that was like a lose-lose and we just felt like that was the call to make at the time and and immediately felt bad uh, and felt wrong and and we knew that and we <laughs> we never stopped talking to Jim or anything we literally have chatted every day since um it's it's very diff- it's difficult for me to even talk about and try to and this is such a sensitive subject i don't want to I don't know. Listen, listen, like I get it. Like I think a lot of what a lot of people don't understand is what the pressure of social media can be like sometimes. It can be it can really ruin your fucking day when people just come on and like there's this intense pressure that comes in all directions. It sometimes can be really hard to deal with. Look, I get it. I mean, does anyone else want to throw anything in here? It was one of the hardest decisions I've ever been a part of making. Um the the amount of like like Andrew said the pressures coming from social media the like almost uh to the point of like threats that were coming in you know concerns of like people showing up at shows in the future to like confront us and stuff and like people talking about trying to blacklist us xyz like you know it it became this this thing of like we've worked so hard to get back to this point of having the band back and like here's this like incident from years ago that like we kind of thought had been addressed and i and you know we thought that like 
the work had been put in to show that like things were not the same like you know that J- jim had been doing the work i thought it was obvious jim had been doing the work uh and, and there was like i guess a misunderstanding or whatever but it felt like that that incident was going to take away the band again it just felt so overwhelming that it's like we have to i think that all five of us felt like we we had to do something and and looking back now it's you know we definitely acted hastily and and definitely made the wrong call but it's just it's so hard to understand all of the mental like gymnastics you have to do in a situation like that uh under so much pressure and how hard it is to process everything that's coming at you at once um it's it's so easy to like jump to the wrong decision just based on the pressures of what's going on on the internet yeah um i i think i, I think it was important for us to uh to take time and uh treat it with the severity of the issue going on in the world you know um we just wanted to make sure people knew we weren't taking something like this lightly, you know, and like, this is a, a, not just something that's happening just now, but it's been, you know, a longstanding thing with everything going on in the world. And, you know, we had to take, uh, take the necessary time. I, I do feel like we did react a little hastily because, you know, at, at the same time, we can't go through something like we did and just be regular friends and normal guys in a band, you know, we're like, we're literally blood brothers and there's nothing that can be done to supersede that, you know? Um, it's just, a, it's a hard situation, uh, altogether. It's it, what matters is what we're left with in the end. And all we can do is just focus on moving forward and, and seeing what the future is for everybody. Do you want to, do you want to throw anything in here? Yeah. I, a few things. I think there's like, you know, Hindsight is 2020, although I think we should come up with a, a new thing and not ever say 2020 again. Um, <laughs> but but it's easy. It's it's easy today to to look back and say we could have handled things a different way. We could have said things in a different way, but it just didn't feel that way in the moment. You know, the five of us talked and I told the guys like the four of you have to make this decision like this is my mess um, and I, I have to be the one to like deal with the repercussions of this. And like, I have to take accountability for myself. And I I felt like it was not fair for the whole band to get dragged down, especially like on the day that our, this album is coming out, like for the whole band to be, you know, be taken away again and watching it in real time, like on, on your Twitter feed to like, to watch the band be taken away from you uh, was unfair. And that the responsibility for that falls on me. And I told the guys, I would gladly step away from the band if that was going to be what it took for the ghost inside to move forward. And in the moment it felt, it did definitely feel like that was the only decision that could be made. Like if, if it felt like there was some other way to navigate this, like we would have done that instead. And it, it just didn't feel that way. But I think what people on the outside don't see is that like, they see the five of us as the ghost inside and they forget that like, we're not, just that like these are my four best friends like this is chris vigil zach and andy like these are my best friends and we're not attached to the tgi name the same way that we were five years ago like each of us has had to 
become a whole person outside of the band, which I think Chris kind of alluded to earlier, like Vigil is the lead singer of the band, but how much of the band have we really done in the last five years? Like it's become like a side job for us and it no longer consumes who we are completely as people. So even if like these guys had erased me completely from the TGI part of their lives, when this happened, like that's 10% of who we are now. Like I literally a week later went to the comic book shop in the coffee shop with Vigil and Zach. Like they're still my best friends. Like, None of this is ever going to change that. Like what we've been through is so much bigger than this stuff. And the bond is so much greater than any ups and downs that we may ever go through um, that, you know, whatever the future does hold for, for the five of us, it all stems back to like the story that you just heard in these four episodes. Like the things that we've been through are not things that can be erased by anything. And that's what's going to propel us into the future. And I think that's one of the things that I took away the biggest from sitting and listening to this for the last four weeks was like, it was a reminder that, you know, this is who we are. Like this is, this, this is, this is who we are. And, you know, the future is uncertain for everybody right now and we'll get there. Um, These guys have never turned their backs on me. And I think it's, it's hard to see that on social media, you know, like, and that's people's sort of like, that's their little window into our lives is what we show them. And they haven't seen that. Like they didn't see, you know, Andrew and I, you know, on FaceTime for two hours, you know, a couple of days after they didn't see me, you know, driving across the country with guitars and a donut for Chris and his kid. Like, like it's, and so like people have jumped to a lot of conclusions about where things are at between the five of us that are not a reflection of reality at all. Like we've done, we, we, we haven't said very much on our side of things. And so people have filled in the gaps and information on their own and almost none of it is even close to the truth. Yeah. I mean, basically, you know, everyone's seeing the whole situation at face value and it makes sense. The outrage makes sense from people. I get it. But like I said, when we when we instantly realized that we made the worst mistake in the band's career, probably, it, it felt too soon to correct it or or even address it. I think we all, for our own sanity, had to step away from this for a long time. And I'm telling you right now, it, it's, it was the worst few months that I can remember in recent history. And I think we had to step away and, 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 and just still talk to each other, but like almost ignore like all these comments we've been seeing, like, you know, you you did this to your brother and it's like the mentally imagine how frustrating it is not to be able to reply to someone and be like, I woke up from a 10 day coma to Jim holding my hand in a hospital. He is my brother. You don't know him. Like I do like, the mental toll that has taken on us to to have to just sit there and take it has been hard. But guess what? We're I'm sitting here admitting it. Yeah, and we're taking it on the chin. And we fucked up. We are also just human. We we fucked up. And that's it. If people if people don't want to support the band and all that, like I I accept that. That's 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 everyone's decision to to make. But 
regardless of anything we've even just said, the most important thing is that Jim is still our brother. I mean, like, you know, like the rest of the guys were saying, like it was never, he was never on the outs with us. It was never like, you know, he was not a part of our lives. It's not like he was in a, uh, one of our brothers. It's just, it was, it was something we had to, to work on, you know, behind the scenes and, and, and kind of figure out where we, where we were and where we are as people and, 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 and focus on, on, on the future ahead. I really think that's, that's what's most important is just, is just turning our sights forward because nobody, nobody can change anything they do in the past. You know, nobody can change that. All you can do is look forward and change the future and change what you're going to be, what you're going to do, what you're going to say, uh, you know, how things affect people, how the world is affecting people. And I think, I think everybody, you know, everybody, um, needs to, needs to just, just look ahead and, and, and face forward. Well, listen, look, as a fan, firstly, I'll say, Jim, like, I think you handled it in a very composed way. And uh, I've noticed on Instagram that you're willing to engage with anyone who wanted to talk to you. You said, message me and I'll talk about it. Um, look, I hope, hope you move on. I hope you don't really have to talk about it much more. And it's back to being the ghost inside. Um, just a couple of things to close out. Um, let's talk about the future then. Band's back. Hopefully, coronavirus is going to end. Hopefully, you're going to get back playing. What any any actual plans coming up, Zach? Anything you can tell us about? Yeah, I mean, everything is just uh, as of right now pushed off until next year. We're hoping we can, uh, like Jim said, put 2020 in hindsight and get get to a place where we're all five of us playing a playing a gig together. I think that's as, that's all we have kind of on our horizon right now, boys. Right. I think he wants to know about the secret projects between now and then. Yeah, basically. Come on. <laughs> come on. Everyone wants to know about the secret project. Uh, I think the the secret that's not really a secret is that um, we did have a camera crew at the show at the Shrine. And we're just trying to figure out what to do with that. Um, it's something that is important. And we've had a lot of different ideas about, you know, possibly turning it into, you know, like an LP or a double LP or something, or uh, doing some sort of streaming thing or plan for that just yet. But the, you know, the shrine show is something that's sort of like in the works. I, you know, people ask if we're going to go write a new record because a lot of bands are taking this time off to write a new record. And I I don't think that's in the cards for us at all. I don't think we're going to go like rush back to the studio and try to do another 12 songs. I, I think the thought of that makes all of us like look each other, look at each other and laugh because it just, that feels insane right now to try to go and do, do all this again. But um, yeah, you, you know, like we are, we are as a band have, not been focused on the live show side of things, which is all the stuff that's on pause right now. Um, so we've always been working on other stuff and we definitely have other stuff that is like been sitting on the shelf that we'll take off and, um, you know, figure out how to share with, um, people that like the band. Chris. Uh, admittedly, I was reading a text message and missed some of what Jim said. So if I am repeating something, I apologize, but, uh, I don't know how much I can say about it. I know I hinted at it on like a, a live stream we did on Vigil's Twitch, but there may or may not be another song in the chamber that didn't make it onto the record. That is, that is, a, it's, it's a heater of a jam too. I don't know. 
it might exist. It might not exist. It might see the light of day at some point. It might not. I don't know. Man, you can't do that to me. <laughs> it exists. <laughs> Just blunt, blunt ass Zach. It exists. I'm gonna. It's, I'm gonna. It, I'm gonna be twisting the blister the exists. <laughs> All right, man. Listen, look. It's been great to like spend the last. Uh, I can't, was it like a few months? Um, I, I, I had such a great time at the show, and when I reached out, I didn't actually think it would happen. And when um, when I got the yes. I didn't know what I'd end up creating. I don't I haven't made anything like this before. Um, it's, you know, I spent a lot of time, especially with Jim. Yeah, but it's been great to get to know you all. Um, I really appreciate you giving me the time and opportunity to make this because um, I am a big fan of the band and I did fucking love the Shrine. And you've written some of my favorite songs as a band. So I just, yeah, just massive thanks, guys. Appreciate this. I wish you the best. And uh, as I said in the last show, hopefully I'll see you all next year at Brixton Academy and all the best. Yeah. Hell yeah. Appreciate it, Peter. Thanks, man. Thanks, Peter. Thank you, dude. Thank you for listening to Defiance. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Vigil, Zach, Andrew, Chris, and Jim. If you haven't already checked out the four-part series, please make sure you do. It is called 1,333 Days. It is available on Defiance, which is available on all major podcasting platforms.